Good morning, New Freedom. Good, good morning to the online audience as well. It's been said that we're either listening to ourselves or talking to ourselves. And by talking, I mean preaching to ourselves, like encouraging ourselves. You see, when we listen to ourselves, what will happen is we start buying into the lies of the devil. We start believing in a false narrative about ourselves. Um, I wanted to share something kind of personal. Um, a few years ago, my mental health deteriorated to the point to where I had a complete like breakdown. Um, and I found myself in therapy. Now this was before I got saved, but I wanted to share this with you. This, there was an activity I did with my therapist. Um, and the first question, it says, what negative thoughts do, uh, do I have or have had? Um, there were four things I said, I'm not good enough. I don't have any purpose. I'm a failure. What's wrong with me? Um, those were lies that I bought into because I really didn't um, love myself. I didn't have um, security in Christ. Now my faith is in Jesus Christ. And, and, and it's, not, it's not about, I'm not good enough. Instead of I'm not good enough, I'm gonna, I'm gonna look to the truth of God's word, the absolute truth. And God's word says in first Peter that I'm part of a royal priesthood. It's not, it's not that I don't have any purpose. In Isaiah, God says that we were created for his glory. And it's not that I'm a failure, I'm more than a conqueror through Christ. And then it, what's wrong with me? I was fearfully and wonderfully made. That's what the Psalms say. So I just want you to know that Pastor Joe's gonna encourage you today, but the other six days of the week, you can preach to yourself. It doesn't have to be out loud. If you wanna talk out loud, I mean, I, I mean, honestly, like there's times I find myself talking to myself, you know, why not? Why not lift yourself up? So just remember, don't listen to yourself, talk to yourself, preach to yourself, um, but please join me. I, I'd like to pray over the service. Father God, we raise a hallelujah this morning because Father, we are just so grateful to be in your presence. And Father, we are here to praise you and worship you this morning. God, we thank you for your holy word and we thank you for your unfailing love. Father God, I, I pray that you would empower us to take our thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. Father, we need to get our minds right in this, in this spiritual battle that we face every day. So help us to be spiritually minded. Father, I pray a blessing over everyone in this house this morning. And I pray a blessing over everyone who is tuning in online right now. Father, I, I just pray that, that your word strengthen, strengthens us today. In Jesus' holy name we pray, amen. Can you just thank God for his faithfulness? Wow, God. Brother Scott, I love you. Thank you for that testimony. If you're listening to us online or maybe a podcast later on and you missed that brief testimony, now that's how you testify. I mean, he got that done in like two and a half minutes and gave God all the praise. Uh, you need to go back and, and, and pick up that testimony. Uh, just... I, I marvel at the goodness of God, and I, I thank God for the work he's doing in your life, Scott. Scott is a, an intern with us, and uh, he's just volunteer here at the church, and yet uh, God has, has opened doors and opportunities that uh, people probably many years older would have pried those doors open or tried to get them open, and God just opened them because of his faithfulness, and I appreciate your willingness to share all the way to Nancy sharing that verse and, and scripture with us that God put on her heart. You know, it just, it gives us reason to pause. 
it gives us cause to realize that as much as we try to plan, and planning is fine, you should. We plan a lot around here. We don't just haphazardly try to just wing it. But as much as you plan, as much as you strategize, ultimately, the victory comes from God. The battle is the Lord's. It's not yours. And sometimes we just need to be reminded that we can stop striving and we can start resting in the goodness and the faithfulness and the the glory that God wants us to walk in. When I uh, was thinking about today's message, Mark chapter 9 has like three different sections to them. And I thought, well, I don't think I'm going to cover all of it today, but there is one section that I can leave out for now because we're going to cover it later on in the year when we get to the Gospel of Luke. And so uh, I just won't cover that first part of Mark chapter 9. I'll leave the transfiguration for another time. Now, something happened last week that I have not had happen in over 15 years of ministry. I very seldom ever will coordinate with a guest speaker when they come in uh, what they're to speak. I I trust them well enough to ask them to come in. I believe God gives them a word for the time, and that is good enough for me. And so I had not coordinated with my friend Tim last week when he came in to stand in for me. Uh, And I get a message from Chris last week, and he said, so are you and Tim both on Mark chapter 9? I just got all of his notes, and I said, well, that would be a miracle because I never coordinated with him. And he sent back, and he said, miracles never cease. (laughs) Apparently, God wants New Freedom Church to know something a little bit deeper about Mark chapter 9, because he shared the first part of Mark 9 that I intentionally left out, and so we're going to pick right up in the narrative where he left off last week in Mark chapter 9. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the 14th verse in the Gospel of Mark chapter 9. It says, and when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. Jesus, having just come off the Mount of Transfiguration with his disciples, Peter, James, and John, the, the closest three to him, they come up on this argument. They, they find themselves coming into a very tense and heated debate. You ever been there? You, you kind of just happen up on it. You walk up to an argument that is taking place. And as the ultimate peacemaker, of course, Jesus wants to find out and get to the bottom of the matter. And it says in verse 15, immediately when they saw him. Now, the, the solution had to come now. The, the mediator was there. When immediately when they saw him, all people were greatly amazed and running to him, they greeted him. And he asked the scribes, those who should have been mature enough, old enough, wise enough, learned enough. He asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? Or, or in other words, what's the, the, the beef here? What's the matter? Then one in the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought to you my son who has a mute spirit. Now notice the the language here that's used. It says, I brought to you, teacher, my son who has a mute spirit. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes at the teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. Did you know that as a disciple of Jesus, as an image bearer of God, as a representative of the kingdom of heaven on this earth, that when people come to you with an argument, with a complaint, with a problem, it's as if they were bringing that problem to God. 
It says this man, I brought my son who was afflicted and in need of a healing to you. Well, Jesus wasn't even there yet. What did they, he really brought them to his disciples. They were the representatives thinking, surely they know well enough how Jesus would respond in this matter. And it says that he expected the disciples to be able to perform a miracle to cast this demon out of this boy and, and restore his health, but they could not. Verse 19, and he answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I bear with you? How long shall I uh, uh, bear with you? Bring him to me. And when they brought him to him and he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him and he fell to the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And often it has thrown him into both the fire and the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, here's the conversation, Jesus, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Now, verse 24 is where I want to get us to today. And I just want to camp out here for a minute. Here's verse 24. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said with tears. This man was intent on this. He said this with tears. And he didn't say it in a quiet voice. He cried out. Lord, I believe. Somebody say, Lord, I believe. But then he follows it up with this next little pesky part of this verse that maybe it would have been better if the authors would have just left alone and not even put this in. It would have helped us to polish our spiritual armor and we would have not had to have this dialogue today. He said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I believe. Help my unbelief, when Jesus saw the people came running, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. And then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, came out. And as one being one dead, so many said that he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. When he came into the house, the disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? So he said to them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer, some translations say fasting, prayer and fasting. Now, one of the most powerful things that guides us is belief. We believe things based upon what we have been taught, what we have learned through our own reading, what we have observed through situations and what we have experienced things that have happened to us. So, so this is how that we base our beliefs. It's how we categorize our lives. We, we all do this. It is a human thing to categorize your beliefs based upon these uh, different areas. Our beliefs influence what we do and how we do it. Yet, we are all very well acquainted with the opposite of belief, unbelief. There is something that lingers in the middle of these two dichotomies, this belief and unbelief. It's this uncomfortable middle ground that we would call doubt. And what I want to talk about today is doubt. I want to deal with doubt. Because camping out in the middle ground, staying there too long in a land of doubt, will cause this very real burn of your soul. Eventually, you cannot stay in that middle ground too long because eventually gravity will pull you either to belief or to unbelief. 
But there can be a season, there can be a time when we uncomfortably walk through a valley called doubt. This section opens up with a debate. Jesus comes on the scene. His disciples had failed yet once again. And this is a theme we see all throughout the good news, all throughout the gospel. Jesus' disciples slow to learn the lessons he taught and demonstrated to them. And then they try it themselves. They don't get the results. Anybody ever feel that way in your Christian walk? But I did it like the word said. I did it like I was taught in Sunday school. I employed the same methods that the preacher told me, and I don't have the results. Have you ever been frustrated and began to doubt because what worked for someone else, what you read in a book, didn't work for you? Jesus' disciples, they knew the feeling. But they weren't simply reading this in the study of their own privacy. They were walking this out in real time, real life examples when the whole crowd was there to say, what you preached, what you said you learned from your master, you can't even duplicate. Why should we follow your message if the results don't work even for you who are his closest followers? And sometimes we get discouraged in our own lives because what we faithed it to be, what we believed it to be, what we tried to believe based upon what we've been told, didn't work out like we thought. And this discouragement can set in, and if we're not careful, then we can really beat ourselves up and get to a place of marginalizing what God is trying to do through our lives. Verse 24, I just want to read it again. Immediately the father of the child cried out with tears and said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. The Message Bible said this, Help me with my doubts. Help me with my doubts. In other words, I really want to believe that you can do this, but I have some struggles. What this man said holds a powerful lesson for us dealing with doubts. And really, if I could put a subtitle to this message, it would be called Trust Issues. Because if you get down deep into what this word doubt really means, is it it actually has a, a basis of trust. And he really had some trust issues with whether or not something could be done for him. Sure, he had seen it for others. Sure, he had heard it testified and witnessed that others had been healed. But could it really be for him? He had some trust issues. All of us have launched out in some blind trusts from time to time. In fact, we probably do it more often than we even like to admit We trust things that really we don't have prior experience with to even know whether or not they're viable. You trusted that chair you're sitting on and you didn't check out the legs and make sure it was stable. You just came in, you sat down because you figure it's set out, it's there. Someone put it there. They're not trying to trick me in church. It's going to work. We were were flying uh, Friday. We we had had boarded a plane and, you know, I'm thinking about this, this trust matter, this blind faith kind of trust. I have never interviewed the pilots. I didn't know if they could fly. I didn't know if they had passed all their tests. But I trusted that because they're in the cockpit, they can fly that plane. Now, we're, we're approaching Cincinnati, and the, the, the intercom starts, and it's the stewardess. And she says, uh, we are making our final descent into CVG. We're about 30 minutes from the airport, and so now would be a good time to get out and stretch. There are two lavatories in the back, and there's one to the front. But you can only use the ones in the back right now because the pilot is in the one in the front. And when he gets through, you can, you can use the one in the front. Somehow that wasn't very comforting to me. Even though I really wanted to go to the lavatory. 
my blind faith, my blind trust all of a sudden was shaken. And the thought occurred to me, if the pilot is in the lavatory, who's flying the plane? You know, you ever sing that song, Jesus, take the wheel? You know, you're like, you're like really just putting your faith in God. But apparently, you know, that thing's on autopilot. I mean, I can understand it if we're at cruising altitude, but we were in our final descent. I think he should be in the cockpit, not in the lavatory. But that's just me. We made it safely. <laughs> Everything was fine. And we oftentimes just go through the motions of blindly trusting something. But there does come this time in our life when we have to get real and get real fast. We have to do it real fast. And this is what I want to deal with in this verse is that getting real is owning it. Can you own some of your doubts? I'm sure that we've all heard this, this phrase, uh, fake it till you make it. And when I was in my uh, early years of Christian formation and I was attending some, some classes in my spiritual theological training in the 90s. There was this, uh, uh, I guess, kind of camp that I was associating with, very charismatic, and I learned so many great things, and, and I just had, had such good memories as I look back of all the, the experiences I had with God. But, but there was this kind of common phrase. It was, fake it till you make it. It was kind of the faith idea. If you don't have the faith for it, just go ahead and fake it until you make it. And, and, you know, I, I used to kind of grab onto that, even though I didn't understand it. And, and so I, I kind of did that. And I don't hear that so much anymore because really and truly, you don't find that principle taught in the Bible. Because I watched people fake it and then they never made it. And so many of them today, decades removed, have quit altogether. It didn't work out for them. They didn't own it that there was some doubts. If anybody ever looks to you and say, well, I'm past the point of having doubts, I have no doubts. You need to look right back at them and say, I doubt it. Because even Jesus' own disciples after the resurrection, see, we want to separate time and say, well, that was before the cross. No, after the resurrection, Jesus was sitting with them and he brought to them this rebuke. You are unbelieving still. They still had doubts. Now, when we talk about this word doubt, it's not some dirty, negative word. There are all of us, we, we, we all have seasons and times and moments of not being sure. And really, when you get to the bottom of it, it is trust. Do you trust God or do you not trust God? It's trust issues. And we all have trust issues. We all have issues of simply not knowing if this is going to turn out the way that I thought it would turn out. But when we get real with it, what we do is we confess our inadequacies. We confess that we don't have all of the answers. Hebrews 4 and 15 says, we have a high priest that can be touched with our infirm feelings, the feelings of our infirmities. He was tempted in all points like we, yet he without sin. And therefore, we can go boldly to the throne of grace because of this high priest, because of our standing in Christ, we can go boldly to the throne of grace and we can obtain mercy and help in our time of need. It's admitting that there are simply some things that we don't know and we may never know on this side of glory. But I will tell you this, all that I do know about this blessed book is enough to secure my heart to know that I can firmly faith and anchor my heart in the word of God. I can set my anchor to the ground because his faithfulness, his goodness, his love, his mercy is great. First Corinthians 13, 11 says, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. 
I understood as a child. I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now in part, but then I shall know just as I am known. And now abide faith, hope, and love. But these th- of these three, the greatest of these is love. It's admitting that right now we, on this side of glory, are looking through this life with kind of a a glaze on the glass. There's a little bit of something restricting us to see clearly like we will finally be able to see. Christian maturity in serving God for many years, it does not guarantee that you'll have all the answers. Actually, it doesn't even mean that you'll no longer have doubts. What it simply means is that you have enough track record in your life of God proving himself to be right and to be true that you can trust him even for the unseen. That's faith. So we get real. We get real with our questions. We get real with our doubts. Number two is that we wrestle with the tension. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Oftentimes there's this stigma with having doubts that somehow we're, we're not people of faith if we have doubts. But we must be willing to challenge our actions versus our professed beliefs. We can profess a whole bunch of things. We can say we believe a whole bunch of things and I'll listen to what you say, but I'm gonna watch what you do. Because our actions will determine and speak about what we truly believe. Many people profess to have faith in Jesus But their actions betray that confession. Their lifestyle says otherwise. Now, I'm not a clothesline preacher. I'm not here to tell you all the do's and the don'ts and the lists and all these things. But your spirit, your human spirit, has a way of knowing. You have a conscience whether something is right or wrong. And the Word of God informs us beyond that even. And usually... If you have to ask the Sunday school teacher, the deacon or the preacher, if something is wrong, you already know the answer. And if you have said yes to the claims of Christ on your life, then the Bible tells us that the spirit of God will bear witness with your spirit that you are sons and daughters of God. And so we wrestle with this tension of our profession versus our actions. This man wanted to profess that yes, he believed, he was hopeful really, but yet he had trust issues. This man in the story had a struggle. He really wanted to get there. He wanted to believe that this time would be the time that a healing would come, but because of all of the previous setbacks, all of the disappointments in his past, he wasn't really sure. And actually, this man could care less about the disciples' training, about the argument that was ensuing, about whether Jesus was on the scene or wasn't on the scene, what really mattered to this man, and when you get in the time of needing a miracle in your life, what really matters is he just wanted his son healed. He didn't care about who was arguing. He didn't care about somebody's theology. He just wanted his family whole. And so we have to wrestle with the tension. I actually, I really commend this father for his raw honesty. Here, Here he is in the midst of the scribes of an entire crowd, of Jesus and the disciples, the most popular crowd on earth. And yet he makes this admission that he's struggling with some doubts. Unbelief is not 
disbelief in the way that we would define atheism. You know, atheism is, is saying that you don't even believe there is a God. It's really more of an agnosticism. And agnostics will say, maybe there is, maybe there isn't. I really am just disconnected from it. I don't really care. And this unbelief is what he's saying is he's kind of disconnected from even wanting to go down that path to trust again because he might just be hurt again. He might have trust issues because he's put his heart out there before and it didn't work out so well. He's believed that his son could be healed before and the home remedies didn't work out so well. Jesus asked this question to the father, how long has your son been like this? And he said, since childbirth, since a very, very young, as long as I can remember. So it tells you that he had been going through this trial for a while. Remember the woman with the issue of blood that that reaches out, touches Jesus, the hem of his garment, she's healed. She'd been dealing with that condition for many, many years. She had tried every doctor around and she had taken advice on every home remedy and none of it had worked. We see this common theme of people being disappointed time and time again until finally they just get real with it. They own it. They wrestle with the tension and once again, throwing themselves on the mercy of God. Here he is wrestling with this belief and unbelief, this faith and doubt. Now the prefix un in unbelief implies that the root word belief is truly in the mixture for this man and for the recipe of his miracle. Think about it like this. If there was unbelief, that means that sometime there was belief. You unlock the door because it had previously been locked. You unlatch the gate because previously it had been latched. You unload the car because at one time it had been loaded with something. And so he was, he was having to undo some things. Through unbelief, we have to undo some things. And that's what, what he's really talking about here. The father's, ploy, uh, his, sorry, the father's plea was more than just uh, human doubts based on logic or his experience. He had gotten his hopes up before. But this time, something was different. This time, Jesus was on the scene. He had these trust issues, but don't we all? Don't we all really and truly have some areas that we're just not sure we want to put ourselves out there? We wall it off. We draw back. We stay in a safe place because maybe it won't happen and I don't want to get disappointed. The fact is, I can have very great faith in one area and deep doubt in another. Think of it. The disciples, we just read it a couple weeks ago. They had watched Jesus feed 5,000 with just fish and loaves, just a little boy's lunch. A couple chapters later, if as if that lesson wasn't good enough, Jesus does it all again and feeds 4,000. So by this time, the disciples, they had pretty high faith for trusting God for material provision of food, but they had pretty low faith. They had doubt. They had unbelief when it came to casting out a dumb and mute spirit out of a boy. I can have really high faith for someone to come to the Lord and be saved in a church service, 
but I can get out of here and read a negative comment on a social media about one of our services and it can devastate me for days. You can have really high faith for some event or some experience you've been looking forward to and let a family member not attend or get upset at you during the planning of it and it can devastate you. Oh, I'm the only one that deals with that, right? It can devastate us. Because as much as we have high faith and belief in one area, we can be in the doldrums in another area. And you know why that is so important for us all the more to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, to have a fellowship, to have a prayer partner, to have an accountability, to have someone that you know will answer when you call, someone who will care when you ask for prayer. Someone who will walk this walk with you. They might say, I've never been through what you're going through, but let's link arms together. You're my brother. You're my sister. Let's take each other by the hand. We're going to get through this together. We're better together. See, we don't deny our thoughts. We own them. We wrestle with this tension, and that leads us to search for answers. And just because the questions are hard, doesn't mean that the answers aren't there. Isaiah 55 and 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Matthew 7 and 7, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Hebrews eleven six. 6, But without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who, who diligently seek him. Not casually just give lip service to the fact that they know somebody who's a Christian. No, God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. But can I share with you that the toughest part of wrestling this tension between belief and unbelief is the middle part of waiting when it doesn't come in the time frame that you would want. The waiting is where the warfare takes place. In the waiting is where we are tempted to deny what we've already known about God's goodness. In the waiting is when that middle voice will start speaking to us. Those lies will be fed to us, sometimes through our own thoughts and at other times through the voices of others or through what we see happening around us. And that waiting period can settle in on us and it causes first a discouragement, then it can lead to depression. And if we're not careful, we can go so deep to despair that we don't even wanna try again. And I'm sure the father in this story had experienced such deep despair that no one was able to help his son. Can you imagine? Some of you have walked that road where someone in your family, someone close to you, someone whom you love with all of your heart is going through a trial, they're going through a battle, they're experiencing something, and there is no earthly solution. All the doctors can't solve it. All the programs and medications haven't touched it. When you find yourself in the waiting, what you need is a miracle. And this man needed a miracle. So what does he do? Here's my third point. Ask God for help. 
Ask God for help. I said, ask God for help. I believe. Help my unbelief. I'm struggling with doubts. Will you help me in that? That right there shows faith, doesn't it? That right there has a glimmer of faith. Jesus could work with that. Jesus said, that's like seed faith. You're confessing your doubts is like seed faith. You ever heard that before? I hadn't either. Just came up with it right now. Maybe it's not even biblical. I'll have to search that one out later, make sure. And if I'm wrong, I'll come and correct it. But you know what? Even his confession that he had doubts was something Jesus could work with. Help my unbelief. Here's two reasons why that we don't ask for help. Number one is fear. We fear because we're going to get found out. We might be rejected. We might finally expose the fact that we don't have it all together. That we're messed up, but everybody else has it together. Can I just share something with you? We're all messed up in different kinds of ways. And we don't ask for help because of fear that we'll be on the outside looking in, that we'll be considered less than, that maybe we'll get denied. Maybe they'll say no. The other reason we don't ask for help is because of pride, because of image. How will it look if I humble myself to be in the place of need? Now, some of you are really good givers. I know this to be a fact because I have watched you for a really long time reach out to people who are in need without being prompted, without being asked, and you fill a need. I don't know the specifics of people's individual giving records in the church, but I can tell you that we are far beyond and above what national average giving in this local body financially is. Some of you are really good givers, and I thank you for that, and, and God has blessed your lives for that. But let me ask you this. How good are you at receiving? You know, it's one thing to always be in the position of being the giver, but how about humbling to the point of being the receiver? If we're not careful, our pride can become an idol that our image is so made up that we are the givers. We're the lenders. We're never the borrowers. We're the ones who bless. We never need bless. No, you need to be on both sides of that coin. It's okay to be in the place of receiving. Had a man just last night message me, 30 some years old, going through a really hard time in his life, break up in his marriage, having a hard time finding a place to live, having a hard time with, with children and all these things. And, and, and out of humility, he texted me, can I get some help? I'm not in the, 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 the position of really needing help ever, but I need some help. And it embarrasses me. He said, it embarrasses me even to have to, have to ask. What have we become as a people when we feel embarrassed even to have to ask. We have done this in our culture. We have made it that pride, looking like you have it all together, is the mantra of the day. Don't ever show that you're weak. Don't let them see you sweat, right? For all of you big givers, for all of you generous-hearted, giving people, when was the last time you received? When was the last time you let someone do for you without you paying them back? When was the last time that you allowed someone to stoop down and wash your feet? See, it would have been real easy for Jesus to have always walked through this earth and been like, no, 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 no. You don't need to wash my feet. My feet are always clean. I'm the son of God. They, they resist dirt. I have Teflon on my feet. No, that's not what Jesus said. Come on. Come on. Come on that's not what Jesus said. 
And when Jesus stooped down to be the giver, he only did that after he first demonstrated being a receiver. Remember when Mary came in, the alabaster box, washed his feet with her tears? Even though she was criticized, Jesus let her do it. And then later, having witnessed that, his disciples seeing that, he reaches down and he's about to wash his disciples' feet. And what's Peter do? Proud Peter says, oh, no, 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 Lord. Don't stoop down and wash my feet. I should be washing your feet. And Jesus said, Peter, unless you allow me to serve you, unless I can give to you, unless I can wash your feet, you have no part with me. Peter, you can't always be the giver. Don't deny me for my blessing. If you're the one that always buys the meal when you go out to eat, you need to get different friends. A year ago, I was with a pastor friend, and I said, let me pick up the tab today. And he, he was struggling with me for the bill. Like, we were reaching, for, we were going to fight each other for the bill at the end of the table. I finally grabbed the bill and said, don't you deny me of my blessing. Amen. You know what his wife said? Nobody ever buys his meal. He's always the one that buys. I said, well, that changes today because you have to receive. Peter goes on and he says, I got it. The light bulb went off for Peter. I got it. Jesus, you can wash my feet. And Jesus is like, that's good. And Peter said, but you also can wash my arms and my, my back and you can wash it. You can wash my whole body. Like he wanted to be all in. Read it. It's in the Bible. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. You don't need a bath. <laughs> I'm not going to go that far. But washing of your feet was symbolic of service. It was symbolic of giving. It was doing for someone what, yeah, they can do it themselves, but are you humble enough to be served? Are you humble enough not only to be the giver, but also to be the receiver? Not only to be the person who can write the check, but also the person who puts the boots on the ground. See, it's a lot easier for a lot of us to just get to tug in our heart of the story of the missionary going overseas and we can write a check and put an extra zero on it and feel like we've been there. And some of us can't go and that's how you serve God. There is a gift of giving. But how about that one that will put their boots on the ground and say, I could have easily given a check, but I want to check in and be here for myself. I could have easily bought more coffee for the church coffee bar, but I'm going to be here and I'm going to put out the cups and I'm going to fill up the water and I'm going to put this stuff away. I'm going to serve. Now, this isn't a guilt message, but I'm telling you a spiritual principle of not just simply acting like you have it all together all the time. Because the fact is, we all got your number. You don't have it all together all the time. None of us do. And you need a Bible on that one. I already checked it out. God does not give us a spirit of fear. So we shouldn't be fearful for asking for a blessing from God. We shouldn't be fearful for admitting and owning up to the fact that we need some help sometimes. And pride, it goes before destruction. If you don't want destruction in your life, you need to get rid of all pride. And it's, I want to tell you, it is the chief, as, as C.S. Lewis once wrote, pride is the chief of all sins. And the more of it that you have, the more easily recognizable you will see it in others. Be careful if you're always that person saying, well, well, she's just proud and arrogant. Well, it could be because it takes one to know one. 
Ooh, ouch. <laughs> Reality is most of our lives rest between this tension of faith and fear, power and weakness, mountains and valleys, certainty and uncertainty. This is common to life. This is just simply doing this walk of faith. And here's what Jesus said. Some things cannot happen in the kingdom except by prayer. Jesus' disciples wanted to know, why could we not cast out this devil? Why could we not set this child free? And Jesus said, well, you had the right formula. You said all the right things. You mimic the program that I demonstrated, but one thing that you lack is prayer. What do you mean, Jesus? Prayer is connecting to the power source. Prayer is more than words you say. Can I tell you the best prayer times I've ever had? I've never said a word, but I've been in line for a download from heaven. That's prayer. That's sitting in quiet meditation before God. Because I learned this, I can't listen and talk at the same time. Maybe you can, I can't. So if I'm talking, telling God all the things he needs to do, then I'm not getting the download from heaven that I need. And Jesus said it like this to the disciples, you need to get connected to the power source. Some things don't happen except by prayer, by prayer. I wonder today how many of us, we need to connect to the power source. We need to rid ourselves of fear, of pride, of insecurity, of all of these things that keep us from asking and really wrestle with the tension, dealing with our doubts, surrendering them to Jesus with heads bowed and just between you and God today, I, I wanna ask you, do you need to pray? Would you like to pray? You're watching us online and, and you're just wondering, what is it that I can do to connect with God? You can pray. You can reach out to him by faith, whatever faith it takes, whatever mustard seed you have, you can reach out to God today in prayer. You can bring to him all of your fears. You can confess to him all of your faults. You can trust that he is a good father. He is a loving God and he wants to meet you at the point of your need. If that's you today and you need to pray, I'm gonna ask you to do something. I'm gonna ask you to lift up your hand and take it right back down. I need to pray today. I need to connect with God today. Just lift up your hand and take it right back down. All over this place. That's right. That's good. You watching us online. I need to pray today. We're going to close in prayer. Father, today I thank you that you have given to us your word, which is life and power, and it's life-giving. And we can come to you today and we can honestly confess that we believe we just need help with our doubts. We need help with our unbelief. We trust you with that admission. We give to you our hearts. We give to you our lives. We say, come Lord and do what only you can do.